Well, I'm going to speak to you tonight from Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And he said, that's uh, Moses, he said, please show me your glory. It raises five questions. The first one is this. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I want you to imagine a, a little baby, just very, very young, who has meningitis. I saw this baby, and there he was with a great tap screwed into his head. And his parents were praying for him. And his grandparents were praying for him. Now, how do you think they were praying? Were they just saying, Lord, spare him? Were they just saying, Lord, heal him? Wasn't like that at all, was it? Lord, I'm begging you, spare him. So sometimes there's an intensity. And in the Hebrew language, and that's what this verse is written in, Exodus 33, 18, there's an intensity in the verb. Um, Hebrew is not like us. It has different intensities in the verb. And this isn't Moses saying, as it is in the NIV, now show me your glory, sort of offhand and that's really flat. In the old Bible, it's this. I beseech you, show me thy glory. Or in our version, please show me your glory. Now, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? And the answer from some of you has to be an honest no, because you've never ever prayed. Now, you know that God is. You know that in your conscience it's written there. You know that he made you. You know that he's giving you life this evening. You know that you're going to be judged by him. All that you know. And yet you've never actually ever had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with God. And I think we would have to call that wicked. So if I say to you, have you ever prayed a prayer like this? You would have to say no, wouldn't you? Never prayed at all. But most of you, I'd like to say all of you, but I don't believe that, but most of you are Christians and you've prayed good prayers. You've prayed, save me. That was good, wasn't it? You've prayed, forgive me. That's good. You've prayed, 
probably thousands of times, help me. <laughs> You've prayed, guide me. You've prayed, hold me. You've prayed, lead me. But have you prayed, show me? Moses prays that twice in this chapter. And here it is, please, please show me your glory. And I have to ask you, don't you want to see his glory? So why haven't you prayed that? Don't you think it would be a shameful thing to be a Christian, converted, and then living on the earth years, and then dying and going into eternity, and yet in all those years of Christian life, you never actually prayed, show me your Glory? So my first question is quite plain, isn't it? Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? So here's the second question. Don't you think it's rather a strange prayer? Because Moses has already seen God's glory. Listen to this. It happened just a few years before. Um, you know the story. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. So 
So why is he now praying, show me your glory when he's seen that glory once? Or how about this? It happened a little while later. It's the giving of the Ten Commandments. It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stayed at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So if he's seen the glory of God twice, why is he praying, please show me your glory? Or this happened not, not very long after the giving of the Ten Commandments in the same place, in fact. Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. And then there's a little event, and Moses is left on his own, then Moses went up into the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Now, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the mountain, in the midst of the cloud, and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So if he's seen the glory of God three times, why is he now praying, show me your glory? And then there was tonight's reading. Moses takes his tent. He puts it outside the camp. 
he goes there and as he goes there, there's such a sense of God that everybody stands in the door of their tent and they watch him until he goes in. And then the pillar of cloud comes down and stands by the door of the tent and the Lord talks with Moses mouth to mouth as a man talks with his friend and there's the most intimate relationship between Moses and God. Isn't that glorious? So why is Moses praying, please, show me your glory. Some people think it's like McDonald's ice cream. Have you had McDonald's ice cream? Shame on you. <laughs> you have McDonald's ice cream and it's so good that you want to go off and have Adam McDonald's ice cream. And it's so good that a few days later you want to go off and have McDonald's ice cream. And it's so good that we could go on, couldn't we? For 47 years and more, I was married to a woman who loved McDonald's ice cream. <laughs> Is it just that you see the glory of God and it's so wonderful that you want to see the glory of God and it's so wonderful that you want to see the glory of God and it's so wonderful? And it's Is that what's going on? Or is it that there's degrees of glory? There's glory and there's glory and there's glory and there's glory. Is that what's going on? Yes, that's what's going on. That's why when the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians the second time, he talks about from glory to glory. There are degrees of glory. So, have you ever prayed a prayer like this? Don't you think it's rather a strange prayer? Here's the third question. Don't you think the Lord gives rather a strange answer? How is Moses going to see a greater glory than, than he's seen already? Is the Lord going to transmute him, take him up into heaven, and he's going to see what the angels see, leave the earth far behind, is he going to skim out through the smoke of Mount Sinai, up into the skies, into the third heaven? No. Moses, says God, keep your feet on the ground. See that piece of rock? Go and stand there. You don't have to leave the planet to see the glory of God. But then Moses hears things. 
They're in this chapter and in the next. Here's a couple of extracts. I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. There was never a mention of gracious or compassion at the burning bush or at Sinai or with Aram, Nadab and Abihu or in the tent. Gracious, compassion. And then he hears this. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He's hearing things he never heard at the bush, never heard on Sinai, never heard when he saw the God of Israel with the elders. He's hearing things. It's all about love and compassion and forgiveness and grace. Keep your feet on the ground, listen. Now then, I'm just shutting you out for a moment, Moses, because there's some things you can't see. And that will always be true, by the way. For example, you will never see God as God sees God. But then I'll take my hand away. And what you'll see is this. you'll see a man walking by. To see the glory of God, you've got to be in an atmosphere of love and see a man. So that was the third question. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? Have you? Don't you think it's rather a strange prayer? Don't you think that the Lord gives rather a strange answer? Now then, fourth question. Can you see how other parts of the Bible explain all this? Now if you've ever read John's Gospel, you will have read this. We used to say years ago to the Holiday Bible Club children, Pick up your ears, wind your brains, and this is a moment to do this. Although Jesus had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's from Isaiah chapter 53. 
Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart, lest they should turn so that I should heal them. And that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. Now here's the key sentence. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. What does Isaiah 6 say? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on his throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. <coughs> These things Isaiah wrote when he saw his glory and spoke of him. He saw that vision in the temple. But what does Isaiah 53 say? He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You haven't seen the glory of God till you are bathed in love and see a man. Which is why John wrote, we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. And that's why Paul wrote, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, face of Jesus Christ. Now, 150 years ago, there was a man in Manchester and he saw the glory of God. The effect of that sight was that the man couldn't stop talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and literally thousands of working men became Christians. But the man who saw the glory of God wrote this. And if you're a bit young and you don't understand the English of 150 years ago, I'm sorry, but I'm going to read it anyway. Oh, what matchless condescension the eternal God displays, claiming our supreme attention to his boundless works and ways, his own glory he reveals in gospel days. In the person of the Saviour, all his majesty is seen. Love and justice shine forever and without a veil between. We approach him and rejoice in his dear name. Would we view his highest glory? Here it shines in Jesus' face. Sing and tell the pleasing story, O you sinners saved by grace, and with pleasure bid the guilty him embrace. Finally, in his highest work, redemption, see his glory in a blaze beyond mortal comprehension higher than an angel's praise. Grace and justice here unite to endless days. He got it, didn't he? So there's four questions. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? Have you? Don't you think it's rather a strange prayer? Don't you think the Lord gives rather a strange answer? Can you see how other parts of the Bible explain all this to us? So here's the fifth question. Can you see what this means to you? Why are some of you so worldly? In 
other words, you're as similar to the unconverted people around you as it's possible for a Christian to be. Why are you like that? Why are some of you living at such a low level? There's very, very little difference between the unconverted people that you know and you. Why are you like that? Why have some of you never prayed none of self and all of thee? Why? And the answer's the same. Always the same. If you had a real glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, the crucified Saviour, if you really saw that, you'd never be like that again. Some of you have doubts. You read Christian books, you have Christian friends, you hear Christian sermons, you sing Christian hymns, you maybe read the Bible and then you think to yourself, is it really true all this or am I just being conned? Why, why are you like that? And some of you are cowardly when it comes to speaking about Christ to other people. You'll speak about almost anything else but you'll never lift your voice up and be counted for Jesus Christ. Why? This sermon isn't here to beat you up. It's just there to explain that you just wouldn't be like that. If you had a real glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, the crucified Saviour, you just wouldn't be like that. Now, some of you young people at school, at university, in your minds you're carving out your future. And actually the plans you've got may be very good indeed. But, if you had a view of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, you would be asking the elders when the next meeting is. And you would go to them and say, I've got this in my mind and this in my mind for the future, but I want you to know that if it's the Lord's will for me to spend my life telling other people about Jesus Christ in any country of the world and any situation, I'm willing. And some of you are preachers. Do you sometimes feel in your preaching, well, I don't know, there was the power I used to have years ago and I don't seem to have it anymore. Do you know why? Because there's something maybe you saw vividly years ago 
but you don't see it anymore. But for all these conditions, if you saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ, you just wouldn't be like that. The Bible which we read says, consider him. So do it. Think about his eternity. Think about his conception. Think about his amazing person. Fully God, fully man, one person. Think about his life. Think about his example. Think about his purity. Think about his words. Think about his silences. Think about his miracles. Think about his parables. Think about his arrest and crucifixion and shame and suffering. Think about his burial. Think about his resurrection. Think about the 40 days when he presented himself alive. Think about his ascension. Think about what he's doing now. Think about his coming. Think about his judging of all men and women and angels. Think about his glory and eternity. Consider him. Consider him. Consider him. Consider him. I'm going to finish in a moment, but not before I tell you this. About 25 years ago, my wife and I went to visit a family in Lancashire. There was mum and dad and two boys, and the oldest boy was about 11, maybe 12, and he had just had a birthday. And this boy was mad on aeroplanes. Everything to do with aeroplanes, he was just mad on aeroplanes. And he still is. He works for Airbus in North Wales at the moment. But he'd been given a book for his birthday, and he was bitterly disappointed. The book was about that high, and it was about that wide. So you opened it like this. And I can't, can't remember the exact title, but it went something like this. Aeroplanes like you've never seen them before. So he opened the book, because he showed me the book. And there were about 40 pages on paper slightly thicker than normal. And there was nothing, nothing, nothing on the pages except dots. Uncle Stuart, what do you think of this? And he handed me the book. It was a bit of a surprise. But the dad said, just keep looking. So I looked at the dots and looked at the dots and looked at the dots and looked at the dots until I was dotty. <laughs> and then, have you ever seen a book like this? And then, I saw it. It was beautiful. And by the way, the 12-year-old still couldn't see it. And actually, as a result of that, they found out he had a particular condition of the eye, <laughs> which fortunately is now um, well controlled. Uh, he's never seen the airplanes. Anyway, that's another story. 
But she just kept looking and looking and looking and looking and looking and looking and look. And then you see it. So you look. You look at his birth and his life and his miracles and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his coming again. And you look and you look and you look and you look and you pray. Please. Show me your glory. And you see it. Now, when I was about 16 or 17, I read this. I didn't know how I could close this sermon, so I'm going to do it this way by reading this. It had a deep effect on me and it's affected me ever since right till now, 60 years later. This is what it says. He came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman. He put on humanity that we might put on divinity. He became man that we might become sons of God. He came from heaven and was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty. He was reared in obscurity. Only once did he cross the boundary of the land of his childhood. He had no wealth or influence and had neither training nor formal education. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled the doctors of theology. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the waves and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, yet not all the libraries of the country could hold the books that could be written about him. He never wrote a song Yet he's furnished the theme of more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college. Yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never practiced psychiatry. And yet he's healed more broken hearts than the doctors have healed broken bodies. He never marshaled an army, drafted a soldier or fired a gun. No leader has ever made more volunteers. He is the harmonizer of all discords, the healer of all diseases. Great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death 
could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. He laid aside his purple robe for a peasant's gown. He was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. How poor? Ask Mary. Ask the wise men. He slept in another's manger. He cruised the lake in another's boat. He rode on another man's donkey. He died on another man's cross. He was buried in another man's tomb. All failed, but he never. The ever perfect one, he is the chief among 10,000. He is altogether lovely. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I thank God that I can say, and he is my saviour. Please, please, show me your glory. <laughs>